0: Hi there, catsuit. Hi there, Nookie. Wait, I wasn't expecting you right now.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to stop by and tell everyone about our event coming up Valentine's weekend.
0: You mean the three-day education and social event focusing in on dating and relationships for kinky folks called the Kinky Dating Something Something and Love Blah 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 event? We've got great speakers lined up, including me.
1: Yeah, also Lexi Silver, Zach Budd, Unruly Nerd Girl, and I'll even be presenting a four-hour workshop. Don't worry, it's in two parts. About how to defuckify your dating and create a profile and a life that weeds out what you don't want and attracts what you do. Registration is open now. And the first 500 people get in free, so don't hesitate. Get registered at datingkinky.com dating dash love dash event.
0: It's a great opportunity to learn from the people you love about the people you hope to love. I know it's on my Valentine's Day calendar. Chocolates are optional.
1: The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Connections and Kinky Education. It's kinky done differently. and other wonderful humans want a frank and fun conversation about the way people approach each other for romance relationships friendships or other partnerships that make us happy with questions asked by a guy and now here is your host Hello there, there, and welcome
0: to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, a podcast about how people connect with each other from first impression to the messaging that finally wins people over. I'm John, also known as Hi There, Catsuit, and I thank you for joining us. Our program is presented by Dating Kinky, and each week we bring guests from all over the community to discuss how people approach each other. New shows drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes when there are holiday weekends and timely material. The trials and challenges for sex workers right now has been put into focus with new legislation and conditions that have been placed on the industry by governments and corporations. It's a chilling situation for anyone who produces content, works with clients, or accepts money for any part of their sexual expression. I wanted to bring in not only an expert, but a leader in the community for this episode, and I'm so glad she chose to join us. Jessie Sage is the co-host of the Peep Show podcast and co-founder of Peep Show Media. She is a sex worker, educator, and writer. Her articles have appeared in the Washington Post, Men's Health, Hustler, Vice's Motherboard, Zero Spaces, Cyborgology, and more. She has lectured on sex work politics and feminism at universities across the country. Time now to hear about what the sex worker world is right now and what Jessie Sage wants. It's the first five. With Jessie Sage, as always, starting with the first five. And the first of the first five is first time you ever realized you were a little different. Oh.
2: I don't even know. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think maybe, so I I used to keep, this isn't sexual at all, but this is the first thing that came to my mind. Um, I used to uh, keep these journals, but I kept journals of the words that I would use when I became a writer. So I just like kept lists of words and I didn't even really have anything to say yet. I wasn't like, I'm going to write this. I was just like, someday I will write. And when I do, I'll, I'll use these particular words. So, and I remember at the time thinking, this is kind of an odd practice, but you know, I'm just going to go with it. (laughs) That's the first thing I think of.
0: First time you physically picked up a magazine or a newspaper with one of your articles in it and your reaction to it.
2: Oh, uh, well, I remember when I first got my column, I, um, so it was like the first time it was in like a physical paper, I uh, was standing in front of like the university where I used to teach and I pulled it out of like the newspaper stand and then like had PJ, he was with me take this really goofy picture where I was like standing there with my article <laughs> It was very exciting. The funnier story though, it wasn't my first time, but I was featured in Hustler. So it wasn't an article that I wrote, but it was one that I was in. And I heard that it came out and I, and I had this like spread in it and I wanted to see it so bad. And I drove all over Pittsburgh, like looking for Hustler and like, there's no Hustler in Pittsburgh. Every place I went, they were like, we don't carry Hustler. I was like, how do I find this? Hustler had to send it to me in the mail.
0: Wow. And in actuality, Pittsburgh is a pretty, I would say, liberal place when it comes to uh, the scene, it seems, because a lot of good kinksters come out of Pittsburgh. I know that. (laughs) Yeah,
2: But no Hustler magazine. No
0: Hustler magazine. (laughs) First time anyone ever sent you a dick pic in your reaction to it. Oh my gosh. I don't even know.
2: It's been, I've gotten so many in my life. I don't remember a first one. I don't know. It must've been, um, I, I don't know. I really don't know. (laughs) I don't have a good answer for that.
0: First time you were pleasantly surprised by an unsolicited message.
2: I get so many nice messages that I don't expect. Um, The ones that come to mind are, I can't think of a first time, but I get message. Actually, I'll say this. The first one I can think of is, I mean, this isn't the first one ever, but it's the first one that came to mind was um, right after our Vice documentary came out that you and I were talking about before we went on air. um, I got this really like lovely message from this woman who said that she has been Dealing with like her own like body image issues for her whole life and watching the documentary made her feel very sexy. Um, cause I, she's like, if the funny thing is that she's like much thinner than I am, so she, so she wasn't like, oh, because uh, what she said is she's been struggling with her own body and seeing me like occupy my body made her feel like she could be any size and be beautiful. And that was really, really nice. Cause I didn't set out to like, have that, like have a body positivity message at all. I was just like being me. And, um, I got a lot of messages like that and it was really nice.
0: First time you ever looked in the mirror and thought you were beautiful.
2: Oh, wow. Um, I don't know, you know, my grandfather, when I was really little, um, used to always say to me, he was like, I I love my grandfather, but he used to always like take my hand every time he saw me and he would always say the same thing. And he would say, Jess, you're a thing of beauty and a thing of beauty lasts forever. And so I think when I was like little, I don't know, he planted the idea in my head that I was beautiful and I never really like questioned that.
1: (laughs) So, Hi, this is Jane Boone, the author of the novel Edge Play. It's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets Fifty Shades of Grey. Only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit. You can find it at Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle. And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on what women and other wonderful humans want. Thank you.
0: Realizing that you're a polyamorous can be a wonderful insight polyamory dating guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you this book includes a variety of sections on poly specific dating such as navigating online dating with a review of poly specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression how to date as an existing couple and if you should dating as an introvert queer in dating and lots more get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com.
1: two people getting to know each other just like we did in high school here is 7 minutes in heaven
0: we call this segment 7 minutes in heaven it's like going back to high school and trying to meet people <laughs> and i want my audience to get to meet you okay biggest turn on
2: ooh you know what my my most recent turn on has been is um and i feel so silly saying this is um those things that the models do the boob drops when they like pick their shirt up and their boobs fall out that's
0: very hot (laughs) (laughs) biggest turn off
2: uh messy bedrooms in selfies
0: (laughs) (laughs) i like the specificity in that in selfies.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean
0: I kind group, of a... just don't have it in a selfie.
2: Yeah, I'm kind of a messy person, so I'm like, you know, I get the messiness, but like if you're going to take a picture to try to turn someone on, just kind of like move it out of the frame, right? It's not that hard.
0: When did you know you were a good writer?
2: Um maybe in college probably. I didn't I um it's funny because I thought I would be a writer. And then um, I don't know, I won writing contests when I was like younger. So <laughs> but I didn't really start writing until like college. So maybe then.
0: And you now write a weekly column in a Pittsburgh weekly. Tell us <sighs> I do. About that.
2: Well, um, it's, you know, it's kind of a um, I started it Uh, two years ago in October, um, at the Pittsburgh city paper, which is like their main alt weekly. And when I started it, it was like a funny story actually, because I didn't, um, try to write a weekly column. Like I got this message that said, Dan Savage just left the paper to go to another paper. Do you want to have a conversation about taking his place? And I was like, what?
0: (laughs) <laughs> <Hello>. um, <laughs> of course I would.
2: <laughs> well, it was funny because I looked at it and it was so shocking to me that I was like, is that are they saying what I think they're saying? Because that doesn't make any sense. Um, and so I started writing that and I wrote it for a year and a half. Um, and it was it's a sex column. And so I wrote a lot about relationships and sex, but I also wrote about like my work as a sex worker. And then I also wrote some about like gender and just other other things. Um, and at the beginning of COVID, that um, I was furloughed because there was no advertising anymore, and alt weeklies run on advertising. So um, what I did is started to I, I started my own media site. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I started Peep Show Media, and when I did that, I started running my column out of my own. Off my own site, but I got a couple of papers to uh, to buy it in syndication. So that's what's happening right now. Is that like it's mine, but a couple of papers are running it. So that's where we are.
0: (laughs) If you take a look at alt papers, Mm -hmm. those weekly papers, that pretty much started the culture of learning vanilla people learning about sex workers. Yeah. About it.
2: Yeah. Well, the thing that's really interesting about them, which makes like the sex columns make a little bit less sense now is that they used to like um kind of hold down the classified sections. <laughs> you yeah. know, which were a lot of sex like thinly veiled like sex worker ads you know and so sex work ads um and so they would always be in the back of the paper in the classified section to kind of draw people's attention to the classifieds um and to talk about sex and things that you couldn't talk about in other places you know um the culture has like radically changed and there aren't people advertising in the classified sections of any papers anymore in that way. So um, you know, and there's there's no uh Craigslist doesn't have any um casual encounters anymore. So like that sort of whole classified thing doesn't really exist in the same way anymore. But um but sex columns still exist. So it was like funny when I was in the city paper because the last page of the city paper was like my sex column, but it wasn't like connected to anything anymore it's kind of a remnant of the past which i think is kind of interesting
0: when did you decide that you wanted to not only write about sex but actually perform it as a content provider
2: (laughs) well uh that's a funny story so my um I was in a PhD program writing about sex, but I was writing about it in this like very academic way. I was doing a philosophy degree and I was doing feminist philosophy. And I started to write about, mostly about like sexuality and embodiment. And I decided that I wanted to be a little bit more like grounded and not just be doing academic work. And I didn't even consider like sex work at all. What I did is I became a doula. So I was doing um, like childbirth stuff. And um, you can't actually make a living being a doula. (laughs) It's like impossible. There's no, I loved it. I love the work, but like you're on call 24 7 for like $400 at a time. You know, it's just like didn't work out. And you could only take a couple births a month because otherwise they start to overlap and you're missing things. And it's just, it's not sustainable for somebody who's like actually trying to. Pay bills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mostly people who have a working spouse or something else going on. So I um, couldn't do that anymore, and I also was like going through a divorce, and I ended up leaving my PhD program. And I got together with PJ, and who you know, if people don't know him, he's kind of my partner in crime, um, and he was doing camming. Like I learned about it through him. He did it way before I did. So he was also like in a PhD program and he was doing camming and he was doing, um, a PhD on camming and like the labor that goes into camming. And so he was interviewing a bunch of cam models and I was like, didn't know anything about it at all. And I was like, I want to I want to do it with you. And he was like, no, like, I don't want, because he was afraid because we were kind of new in our relationship that I don't know that I would get freaked out or I wouldn't like it. And that I would blame him for being, you know, for me being naked on the internet or, you know, you never know what could happen. So we talked about it for a long time, six months or something. And then finally we like started doing shows together and that's how I got into that sort of work. And then I was doing camming and I was, and then I like kind of transitioned from camming into phone sex and then into like clip production. And when I did that, I started writing again. So I stopped writing for a period of time, like in between leaving um, academia and then I was working as a doula and then I started doing all the sex work, but I like writing. So I just kind of started writing about my experiences and then then I was a sex columnist and it all like kind of happened by accident <laughs> in the way that you know chips kind of fall when you're not expecting it so
0: how much freedom does one feel being able to express themselves sexually as a content producer
2: I mean I feel a lot in in a lot of different ways I think that um Actually, I, I kind of think it's complicated. I think it goes like both ways because I uh, there, there's a way in which I've become like very uh, comfortable talking about talking about my own sex life, talking about sexuality, talking to other people about their desires. Like that's what I do all day. It's like very natural and very easy for me. I also feel kind of like unblackmailable at this point. Like any. <laughs> I am so out that people, you know, if anyone was like, but you did porn, I'll be like, yeah, everybody does that. That's a known thing. Um, But it took a long time to, to get there. And in the process of getting there, you know, uh, we had a lot of like turmoil with our family because that's fairly common when you um, are doing sex work and people had to kind of become accustomed to it. And, and there's ways that like, as a sex worker, you have to hide a lot of your life, you know? So when I started doing I'm a mother um, and people know I'm a mother and I don't hide that, but like, I shut down my regular Facebook, my regular Instagram. I don't ever post pictures of my kids. Like I don't interact in the way that like most parents and adults Mm -hmm. like interact just because it's not, um, it's not like appropriate and it's not like, safe to mix too much of like my personal life and my professional life, which is actually kind of a um, paradox because so much of my personal life is like way more public than most people's. Like I wrote an article for Hustler recently about, um, about the anal sex that I had on my wedding night, you know, and I had to say, I had to, I wrote an article about anal and I was, as I was writing it, I realized I was writing like a story, like an erotic story about my own life. And I said to PJ, like, do you mind if I published like in Hustler about our sex we had on our wedding night? And he's like, yeah, I don't care. So like, (laughs) there's ways that like I um, am really super public about things and then not at all public about other things. So I think there's, there's a lot of freedom, but then there's also a way that you have to, um, I don't know, protect the people who didn't make the choice to be that free is I guess the best way to put it.
0: How do you determine that something is special enough between you and PJ to not be shared
2: mm. um i don't know if um i don't know if that's something that i like think so much about is it's just more of a um feeling i don't Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i i think we actually have a pretty easy dynamic like in that regard like it's pretty easy for us to negotiate um those boundaries you know what's harder um the mundane things are harder like it's hard like work-life balance and things Mm -hmm. like that are harder but the actual like content we usually don't disagree about or um I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to determine, like, what's more special. I think it's just kind of a uh, thing that seems intuitive. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Is there a difference in feeling? Because I have no clue about this. Mm -hmm. I've never had a partner that would want to have things on display, as it were. Yeah. But is it more special when it's not shared?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean and more fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I I, honestly, I know that
0: seems like a silly question, but I'm asking because I just don't know.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, he and I have a different opinion about this, I think, uh, or a different like feeling about it, because I feel very much like, um, because he's more of an artist, I think, you know, I'm more of a writer, and he's more of a visual artist. So for him, like, he really loves setting up a scene and like setting up the lighting for it and figuring out like what it's going to look like and what the camera angles are going to be and all of that and so because it's such like an art form for him i think it also like taps into his like eroticism you know so it's like very sexy for him to go through this whole thing and it also makes it like much more like slow and drawn out you know for me though (laughs) Like I don't have the same vision. Like I, I always love what he does. And like, once it's done, I'm like, Oh, that was really cool. And it was really beautiful. But like, I'm in a much different um, uh, my relationship to it is much different. So for Mm. me, it's like him saying, no, like turn your head that way. No, like do this. (laughs) We have a funny, like outtake from this one um, blowjob video we did in front of our window where he's like, uh, and I kept it because I think it's funny where he's like, no, 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 it's, um, it's fine. It's just you just do it over again. And I said, you keep saying it's one more time. You know, like, we're arguing. Like, I'm I'm like How many more times do I have to do this? My knees hurt. I'm like an old lady. And um, so, so it's like very different experience for me because I'm also more, I'm more forefronted, like as a, as a woman. And so like, it's more performative for me. I have to like be paying attention to camera angles and like, make sure that I don't have a double chin and like do all of this stuff. That's like not sexy to me. And then when we're not doing that, then I can like get very much more into my own body, but going back to it, like, I'm always glad that it exists and it's like fun for me, but like, it's not sexy in that way and Mm. like when we're alone it is to me but but i understand that like he finds it exciting to do it so it doesn't seem weird to me it's just not my experience
4: what is your fantasy do you have a secret we all have sexual fantasies or secrets that's what my show is all about my name is nikki and i'm the host of in bed with nikki In this show, it's all about sex and the fantasies that people have. Reading from my emails directly and anonymously sent to me, together we will explore the experiences of everyday people, just like yourself. Often, this is the very first time they've told anyone else about them. You can find In Bed with Nikki on Podchaser, Spotify, Apple iTunes, and anywhere else you find your other favorite podcasts. And remember, for every problem, there is a solution. And I happen to call it an orgasm. And until next time, enjoy.
1: This is what women and other wonderful humans want. Presented by Dating Kinky. Kinky Connections and Kinky Education. It's kinky, done differently.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the messaging that you get. You are married, Mm -hmm. and it is out there that you are married. But still, (laughs) what does your inbox look like?
2: Oh, it's so... uh, You know, it's interesting, and I don't think that I would have known... There's so many things that I wouldn't have known if I didn't do this job. Um, And one of them, I think because I am married, I get so um, I get a lot of people that are interested in PJ, like a lot of people who are by or like closeted by who are very interested in him, Um, which I think is interesting. But the more interesting thing about that is that he uh, is that they don't actually like want to talk to him. They want to talk to me, but they want to like talk about him, you know? And so mm. that's, that's very interesting. And I, ta- I was recently talking to another um, woman who's a couple in the industry and they came together and do clips together. And she said she has the same experience where people like want to talk about like him. And my very first phone sex call, I had somebody who called me and when he found out I was married, because he didn't know me, because I was very like new then. Um, most people now, know who i am when they like approach me but at the time they didn't and we started talking and he was like oh are you married and i said yeah and then we had like a 40 minute like fantasy about like a threesome with the three of us but pj wasn't even there it was just like him and i talking about how cool it would be to like bring my husband into this fantasy and then when I hung up the phone I was like, "Oh my god, I could do this job forever." Like if people just want to call me and talk about like how my hot husband is going to fuck both of us, like I am just into it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that is so great. So so yeah, I mean that that there's that. Um so I get a lot of that, like people who are interested in that. I get because I'm a writer, a lot of people who want to talk about their relationship issues cuz they'll see that I've written about something. Um and then, then I get people who are just like, "You're hot. I want to jiggle your ass or something," you know. Um, and then younger people who, because I'm in my 40s, are like, "Oh, I'm totally into like Kirby MILF. So will you like mommy me?" And I and mm. that was, I'm also into that. Um, and <laughs> so, so I don't know. It's like a range. It's a whole. I think because I have integrated my work so much because I have the podcast and um my sex work stuff and my clips and my phone work and my writing like all branded together um it means that I get like a huge range from like really directly like um sexual stuff to like I'm interested in your opinion about this to can I pay you to I've even had people who say can I pay you to send um I want to send you something I wrote. Can you tell me what I think about it? So even like editing sort of <laughs> stuff, um, to, um, people who, people who've called me who want to talk about like feminism or philosophy, or somebody called me to talk about Maya Angelou, you know, and t- just, mm. you know, it's like such a huge range. And I feel, um, I feel super grateful for that but then i also have a ton of people who like i i think that i tend to like bitch too much about the people who like send me messages that annoy me um because there's also like a lot of a lot of that a lot of like uh scammy sort of stuff too like mm-hmm. oh baby like send me some nudes. And I'm like, no, go buy my stuff. I have tons of stuff. You could just go buy. And they're like, just give me a sample. And I'm like, no, there's no samples. That's like Twitter. Twitter is a sample. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and look at that. <laughs> yeah. So I mean that that too, but yeah, I mean, a total range from like, I want to talk to you about my family to this is happening in my marriage to, can you tell me what it's like to have open relationship to, Um, tell me about what you think about Nietzsche. You know, it's just like
0: a whole host of things. Total side item. Is there such a thing as a red pen fetish?
2: A red pen fetish? Like for correcting, like a teachery thing? (laughs) (laughs)
0: For for writers who want to be corrected, because I know (laughs) some writing friends of mine who are scared crapless over red pens.
2: Wow, I haven't run into that, but it totally made sense to me. I knew what you meant when you said it, (laughs) but I've become like a kink psychic because I've had so many conversations.
0: (laughs) What kind of approach works with you? What kind of messages do you get that you go, wow, this is good?
2: I like it when people kind of know who I am and what I'm about. Like people who followed me for a while, usually I have a better, usually I have better interactions with them because I think that they have a sense of like what I, what I'm about, you know? So oftentimes if people will, you know, send me a message on Twitter and say, oh, I, I um, well, here's an example. Um, uh, one time, and this was a couple, a year and a half ago or something, maybe two years ago, coming up in February, I wrote, um, in my column, I wrote a letter to the wives of my, of my clients. Like I basically was like, um, you know, and it wasn't directed at anybody, but it was like, uh, this is what I think you should know about like what these interactions are like. Um, and, and why I don't think that, um, it should be as threatening as people think it is. Um, and so I wrote this letter and then, um, it got a lot of, a lot of people were like, um, it circulated a lot, I guess. I don't know how else to say that. And, um, somebody wrote to me and said, hey, I read your letter. And while I'm not like married, I love what you said about like the possibility of like intimacy in these very um, uh, um, confined ways or um, bracketed ways in the same way that like kink scenes happen. You know, (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, and I would really love to explore some of that with you. And so like he came to me saying, I like the way that you you think about this and i was wondering if maybe you and i could create some of these experiences and from something that i had written and i have so a lot of times and i'm sounding very like cerebral right now but i think i maybe am <laughs> uh, so a lot of times the things the times that i like really establish like longer term connections with people it's because they've come to me like that they've said something like you know i I'm looking for something that's like long-term or I have certain things I want to explore or they really know like what they're trying to get out of the experience and kind of like clearly articulate that to me then I feel like we can enter into something that's like uh, very mutual so that does it, but then in terms of like sexual stuff there's like, there's some things that I is just more fun for me than other things you know like um. I happened to really, so this morning, somebody called, this is really funny. Cause I went upstairs, um, after I had this call and PJ was like, did you just have sex with someone like over, <laughs> I was like, maybe I may have done that, um, <laughs> over the internet. And I was like, yes, yes, I did. Um, cause he was like above me in the bathroom. Um, but <laughs> he, uh, this guy who's a regular of mine called, it'd be funny if he was listening. Um, and was like, Hey, Jesse, I just wanted to like catch up with you. And I was like, that sounds great. We talked for like 10 minutes about the holidays. And he was like, and I would really love to worship your ass today. And I was like, awesome. (laughs) Let's do that. (laughs) So like, I like that. And when people call me and say, I just want to like worship your ass. I'm like, that's great. This is a perfect pairing. Um, and like I said, I kind of like the I like mommy dom stuff. I like cuckold stuff when it doesn't include racism. <laughs> like, mm. um, that's the problem with like cuckold stuff for me is that often it veers into this sort of like racist uh, discourse that I'm not into. And I mm-hmm. will put up like boundaries around that. But when it doesn't include that, and it's more just like, uh, wouldn't it be fun if we had this fantasy? I, have, I can have a lot of fun with that too. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that like, work for me um that people call and either they work for me on some sort of intellectual level or it's just like they are tapping into something that's fun for me
0: you know so if you were to give men or women Mm -hmm. a toolbox with three or four tips of your Mm -hmm. top tips on how to have an effective message what would go in that toolbox
2: like a message to somebody that they want to connect with um, I would say, you know, this is also true for like dating apps or anything. I think, um, paying attention to what somebody's written about themselves, um, and tapping into one like small part of that might be. I- to me, that always is like effective. I, I won't answer questions that I won't answer things that say, Hey, baby. I'm like, no, I don't yeah. <laughs> no, Um, or hi or Hey, or whatever. Um, because like, I just can't, there's like so many of those, but, um, if somebody takes the time to say, Oh, I, I read your profile and I thought you did an interesting thing here. Um, or I'm also interested in X, Y, or Z to me, that shows that you've like put a little bit of effort into the interaction. So I think that's probably a good one. Um, I think to not get, um, to me, but I don't know. I think maybe people are different about this, but to me, I feel like, um, getting like too, getting too explicitly sexual before there's been like any connection made to I don't like that. Um, because it feels very, um, it feels very impersonal to me. And this is true in my work too. It's not just like in my personal life. I mean, it's more annoying to me in my personal life because in work, I'm like, well, you know, they're calling for sex or they're writing to me for sex. So like we could do the sex thing, it's fine. But I feel like even then there should be some sort of like, hi, this is what I'm interested in. Can we talk a little bit, get to know each other, you know, some something like that. So I think getting to like, um, too explicitly sexual before there's any sort of connection is also kind of a turnoff to me. Um, so you said two or three, that was 2 um, <laughs> trying to think of another one. Oh, um, uh, yeah, I, I actually, and then maybe something about like, what you're doing, you know, that isn't, I often, like a turn off to me in those in those sorts of interactions are always like, and this is more in personal interactions, but is more like asking right away, like, "What are you here for? What are you looking for?" And I think that that's um, to me, I feel like those questions don't make any sense because it's very like contextual, like given what your dynamic is like with a person. So. When I hear questions like that, I think that people are thinking of human beings as like interchangeable parts. Like, I want this one thing and I need somebody who will come and like, give me that thing instead of like, I want to explore something with you. <laughs> like, what are you into? And what am I into? And maybe we could like find a common connection and have a little spark and have a little fun.
0: Ye old fetish dispenser.
2: Yeah, I'm not into that. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got some fetishes, but I don't want to be a fetish dispenser.
3: <laughs> Hi, I'm Dr. Allison As, trauma-informed sex and intimacy coach and educator and the founder of TurnOn.Love. And I teach a wide range of workshops and courses on topics including flirting and seduction, deepening emotional intimacy, expanding pleasure, exploring fantasies, repairing ruptures in relationships, navigating non-monogamy, and more. And I work with individuals and couples in a coaching dynamic to support them in getting out of their heads and into their bodies and navigating challenges like erectile dysfunction and anorgasmia, to help men figure out how to express their desires in ways that feel authentic and not let opportunities pass by any longer, to help women explore what they want and really advocate for in their relationships. And to support couples in getting the spark back and in exploring non-monogamy if you want to open up your relationship. To explore all this and more, you can check out my website at www.turnon.love. And don't forget to listen to my episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. It's in the archives wherever you listen to your podcast. Back with
0: Jesse Sage, the host of the Peep Show podcast and founder of Peep Show Media. And when you started your Peep Show podcast, could you have ever believed the time that we are going through now? Because apparently, when you started your podcast, it was very similar to a time that we're going through now when it comes to basically an attack on sex work and Mm -hmm. very much an attack on women in many cases.
2: Yeah. That's been a really interesting experience because we started our podcast in October of 2017 and in April of 2018, FOSTA SESTA was passed, but like we knew that it was coming before then. Right. And so FOSTA SESTA, like if your audience doesn't know, um, uh, made websites responsible for third party, like, um, or held them criminally liable for, uh, what third parties post. And so what that meant for sex workers is, and this is why, this is why going back to what we were talking about earlier, there's no Craigslist personals anymore. Cause that got shut down. There's no furry dating app anymore. Cause that got shut down things on, um, Uh, kink.com got taken out that used to be like, you know, made possible. And part of that was because all of these websites became afraid that they were going to get charged with um, uh, facilitating prostitution. So it was uh, a law that was put in place to prosecute uh, websites or hold them legally responsible for any solicitation or facilitation of prostitution. And like, that is really vague. Like prostitution, the definition of prostitution is really vague. The definition of facilitation is really vague. So, like, what does it mean to facilitate something to make it easier? Like, if you're disseminating, uh, harm reduction materials. Mm -hmm. Is that making it easier? Does that mean that like organizations like swap and other sex work organizations are like facilitating prostitution? You know, so there's, there's a whole bunch of like fear that went throughout the community when that, uh, reasonable fear that went throughout the community when that was passed. And we started this, this, um, sex work, uh, um, podcast. And then suddenly there were like, We got thrusted into like having to 24 seven cover like FOSTA SESTA and the impact of FOSTA SESTA. And um, it kind of shaped what we were doing for a long time in ways that I didn't anticipate when I got into it like at the beginning i was like well let's talk to sex workers about camming and about their clients and about what they're interested in doing and what kind of shows they like to put on and then we're like no we're going to be talking about politics like 24 7 mm-hmm. which isn't what we signed up for but what but, but, but what was really important and what was really needed and then um you know we went on hiatus for we ran it for another year year two years Um, and then PJ got really sick. PJ had cancer, um, Mm. and was in and out of the hospital for almost, almost a year and is doing much better now. But when he got better, we decided that we were going to start the podcast again and we started and now like everything is getting (laughs) getting worse all over again. So it's like, every time we start something, the whole world falls apart and (laughs) turns Mm. our world upside down. And so right now, um the thing that's really frightening right now is that, um, all of the, all of the issues that, um, full service sex workers were having with like FOSTA SESTA is now like expanding out to include like an encompass porn performers and, um, online sex workers as well. Um, in the sense that, um, you know, Visa MasterCard pulled out of Pornhub, which is a really, really big deal. and, um, and, um, it's, you know, so what happened with FOSTA-SESTA, like the, the parallels here, and I think the parallels are important, is that when Backpage was shut down, um, people couldn't place their ads anymore, and um, they couldn't screen their clients if they're not placing ads and like doing the sort of screening procedures that they need to do, Um, and so, People were pushed back out onto the streets and people who, um, and it really, really impacted like more marginalized sex workers. So, um, Backpage was a backpage closing down was a really big deal because Backpage was free or like very low cost, whereas websites like Arrows are in big cities, $500 a month to post your ads. So, um, those sites are still running, which means that, you know, high end escorts are like still able to be fairly safe, but everyone else isn't. And um, so, uh, we know for a fact that people died, that violence towards sex workers went up, that, you know, there was a lot of issues now um, that haven't been resolved and that sex workers are still fighting for. Um, but now with Visa MasterCard, like pulling out of Pornhub, Pornhub is owned by MindGeek. MindGeek is the largest um, uh, platform, porn platform. And if you have sex workers who, you um, who can no longer process their like payments on the site they're just not getting paid and you know my stuff I didn't um I never went the Pornhub route like uh, different people make different decisions about how where they're going to place their content but um but the concern for people even who who aren't making their living off of Pornhub in particular is that um if these major credit card companies are willing to pull out of Pornhub which is where they would Generate like so much revenue (laughs) that it's only a matter of time before, um, mini vids and only fans and only fans is under a lot of scrutiny. And I do make money on only fans, only fans and mini vids and all of the other sites like start having problems too. And this is even a bigger problem for us because processing payments, um, is already difficult for sex workers Mm -hmm. for like all sex workers. So, um, if they suspect that you're doing um, using Venmo or PayPal, or even your bank accounts for that matter um, to sell panties or to sell porn or to talk on the phone or to do anything, they'll shut down your accounts. And um, you know, most of my friends have had multiple accounts shut down, no longer have access to Venmo or have been lifetime banned for PayPal. And those companies, just seize funds. Like they don't give them back to you if they shut down your account. So a lot of people have lost a lot of money. And that means that like, if I can't, if, you know, every once in a while, someone will say to me, um, Hey, can I buy these five videos on your mini vids? But I don't want to, buy something on minivids for reasons, maybe a joint credit card or something, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> um, can I give you this money on Venmo? And can you just like email me the Dropbox links? For me, I'm like, sure, I don't mind. I can do that. The problem, though, is that once somebody, once those companies realize that you're doing that, you know, because I usually won't do that more than a couple of times for any one person because I don't want it to look like a lot of transactions are coming in. I also won't do the same exact transaction Mm -hmm. several times (laughs) for that reason, you know, you just don't want to get flagged, you know, but so it's already like tenuous being allowed to have any sort of cash apps is already tenuous. So if you can't process payments on your own, you're going to have to use the platforms. And if the platforms can't process your money anymore, like we can't work.
0: (laughs) That's. And what's so crazy about it is if you were sending books instead of videos. Right. To that same customer. Right. There wouldn't be a care in the world about it right i heard somebody on your podcast talk about the fact that rich white men sit on the boards predominantly of mastercard visa Mm -hmm. and so many of these corporations right it almost seems as though as it has always been that men are trying to control how women can express themselves and make money
1: Yeah, it it feels
2: like that. And I think there's every reason to believe that because if you, so um, an interesting thing that happened is that with this, with this Pornhub, um, they actually went back to Pornhub. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but Hmm. after a couple of days, Visa MasterCard was like, okay, um, we'll come back now that you've purged your account of all of the unverified users. So part of the problem with Pornhub is that Pornhub was letting um, anyone upload
0: anything, right? So Whether it was stolen or not, and most of it was stolen.
2: Most of it was stolen. That was their business model. That's how they became so big, you know? And so- Um, however, they didn't reopen all of the model hub programs, like the, the actual content creators who, um, were following all of the rules who were uploading their own content, who were uploading their age verification. They don't have their means of making money back. So it's, they, they, in the, in the name of like protecting the children or, you know, fighting against trafficking because that's what they were claiming they were doing. They actually just shut all of the like sex workers out of being able to make money and uh, didn't do anything to actually change anything. And so, so it does, it does very much feel like, and you know, I, not all sex workers are women, but the majority of sex workers Mm -hmm. are are women and erotic labor is a very feminized thing. And so um, you know, it, it very much does seem that it's like a war on women trying to make money through like sexuality. And I don't know, I don't really know what the reason for that is. If it's like a resentment that, you know, uh, men have to pay for this or that they feel like women are the gatekeepers of sexuality or what, I don't know what <laughs> the problem is, but.
0: And that leads right into my next question. Many people on FetLife started getting upset that mm-hmm. people were taking their nudes over to OnlyFans.
2: Oh, really? I didn't know. Oh, I don't, I'm not they, on Fet Life, so yeah. I don't know about this, but yeah.
0: Huge rigmarole. <laughs> now, Instagram on one day decided, okay. We're going to take anything that might even be suggestive,
2: I know mm-hmm.
0: off of Instagram, right for seemingly no rhyme or reason,
2: right. Mm-hmm. And do you want to hear something that's like infuriating about that is that um male photographers who take pictures of women's bodies and put them up on their photography site, are not getting their pictures taken down but those same exact like historically this has been the case the same exact women whose bodies are on these male photographers accounts promoting their photography businesses are having their model accounts shut down
0: oh my lord i have no clue
2: (laughs) yeah so it's selective it's selective (laughs)
0: Because my account, and I was actually getting some good traction as far as getting followers on Instagram Mm -hmm. to promote the show. Yeah. My account doesn't have anything that's massively suggestive, but Mm -hmm. I put pictures that are provided to me in the promotion of it because I want people to see who is on the show and how they represent themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But my ability to get followers on a place that is slowly dying from people that aren't going to follow that sort of stuff. Right. It's hurting us too. And it's not hurting us in one tenth of 1% of what it's yeah. hurting sex workers, but this broad brush, broad stroke elimination of so much. Yeah. Has really claim victims that weren't even intended.
2: Well, you know, I've talked about this on this show, but when this happened with Tumblr, like two years ago, when Mm -hmm. Tumblr um, took all of their sexual content off of their site, um, one of the like things that happened is that, um, and this happened on YouTube as well, was that um, like queer Uh, communities like disappeared overnight so Mm. trans communities um, places that there was a lot of like information being passed between like um, trans youth for example or like transition like my and this is really like personal to me because my oldest kid is trans and I watched him um like as an adolescent watching trans vlogs to try to like imagine a future for him, you know, for himself, you know? And so he would watch people go throughout their t- transitions. There was communities that were built around that. And for a lot of kids, especially kids who are like living in remote places in the middle of nowhere, like those kept them alive because they're like, oh, there's people like me and they make it to adulthood, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, all those vloggers got demonetized <laughs> on, you know, YouTube, who for just like talking about their experiences because those were deemed as like too sexual. Like nobody was could show their top surgeries anymore, um, and that'll kill people. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I firmly believe that, like. Um, taking marginalized sexual communities off the internet kills people. I know it killed sex workers when FOSTA-SESTA passed. I I know that. I know that trans kids will commit suicide if they can't, if they're isolated from people and they can't find people that look like them and who've had experiences like them. So
0: And the violence that goes against trans people, the, yeah. the stories are are numerous.
2: So and- many. Yeah. So it's, it's so... Um, it's so bad, (laughs) you know, and, and I, I was going a little bit crazy today because I was looking at, um, I don't even know why people are tweeting this right now, but there's a whole bunch of people who are tweeting about like why we should take sex scenes out of movies, just like movies. And people are like, (laughs) oh, well, no movie is ever made better by the sex scene. Like that's always a distraction from the story. So we don't need sex scenes in movies. And I was like, people totally crazy. Like we want to erase sex from like everything. (laughs) How is that going to help anyone? Like what that's going to do is it's going to make people feel totally isolated. It's going to make them feel alone in their desires. It's going to make them like, um, I don't know, you know, I, in my work, I deal with a lot of people who have like very intense internalized shame. (laughs) Um, and, this isn't like helping that. It just makes it worse.
0: I introduced my kids to sex Mm -hmm. in the media at the age of nine for my son and 11 for my daughter. Mm -hmm. We took them to see bridesmaids.
2: Okay. I saw that, but a long time ago.
0: First scene is two people going at it. Yeah. And I tell this story and people are like, you what?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I said, well, we took them and we didn't have to explain what's in a rated R movie anymore. Right. We didn't have to explain that people will have sex for fun and it's not yeah. just for marriage. We didn't have to explain things that are being hidden from them because we weren't hiding it from. Right. Them. You talk about scrubbing all the sex scenes. Right. That's just going to make people. And by the way, my kids have turned out pretty darn good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's because we didn't hide things from them. Right.
2: My, my parents didn't either. My dad, when I was young, I mean, I I'm from California and I've kind of California hippie parents. And my dad used to say when I was growing up that he'd rather see us have us see people like having sex on TV than like murdering each other. You know, like he was like, I don't understand why people are more like more easily let their kids watch violence than let them watch like sex. Um and but my but PJ, his he grew up in a Catholic household where like anytime anyone would even like kiss on TV, his parents would like close his eyes, <laughs> you know, like cover it over. And he talks about that as being like really difficult like (laughs) difficult to come to like understand himself when when any like expression of sexuality at all was like seen as something that was like you shouldn't be seeing this
0: Jesse I want to ask as we're getting ready to close this edition of the podcast and I really appreciate your perspective on all this obviously to be able to support sex workers hmm. Takes money most of the time. Yeah. I have often said there are some people who can't afford that. Mm-hmm. But what can people do to be able to support these people who are trying to make a living outside of simply buying their content or buying services? Their services?
2: Yeah, um, I think that's a good question. I I think just like standing up for sex workers goes a long way. Like I've often said that I don't think sex workers can like fight this fight. We can't fight this fight by ourselves because, um, I honestly think we need our, we need our clients to also like stand up for us, which I mean, those are obviously people who are paying. So it's not a direct answer to your question, but I think, um, not allowing, like not, not letting sex workers be the butt of like every joke. (laughs) Um, Not, you know, because sex workers are, you know, I think even just OnlyFans now has become like a cultural meme, you know, and OnlyFans is a legitimate way to make, you know, a living. I think that, you know, saying, Hey, I don't think that's cool um, is good. I think just um, talking to, talking to and getting to know sex workers without like reducing them to, Their work I think is also very important. So uh, that's something that I find difficult is that like people who who are outside of like um, sex radical communities will be like, oh, you're a sex worker and that's terrible. You must be like rotting in hell. And that's one terrible response. But the other one from like progressive people is oh, your life must be like, so interesting. I want you to tell me all about it. And I'm going to introduce you as my like resident, like sex worker friend, when it's like irrelevant to the, you know, context, I think treating sex workers, like they're somehow like some alternate, like life form in either of those, you know, extreme ways um, perpetuates the problem Um, saying that, like, you know the one thing you want to do as a good parent is keep your kids off a stripper pole is also, you know, which is like also a cultural meme, I think is um those like small things of standing up for sex workers as like real people, I think is really important. I think there's also ways um, that you don't have to spend money that you can be supportive of like sex workers. And that's like on social media being supportive of what they're doing. There's a lot of like, fans that are more like fans that like um say positive things and you know retweet and circulate your things in cam rooms I know there's a lot of people who don't necessarily have money who moderate the rooms or who tell trolls that come in and say like you're fat and ugly or something like go to another room then you know (laughs) like you know just help help out like People who are just trying to do their job. So I think there's a lot of non monetary ways that include just supporting what sex workers are doing, not treating them like they're some alternate life form, um, you know, stopping people from making them the butt of like all jokes. Um, you know, I, I think that that can go a long way, or even just admitting that they no sex workers. You know, I think mm-hmm. that there's so much shame um, around sex work and families have a lot of shame around having people in their lives that are sex workers. And if they could get over that and say, you know, I have a daughter who does this sort of work or, um, or, you know, anyone, you know, not necessarily just daughters, that could also go a long way.
0: I'm going to bring my old life and have it collide with my new life. Okay. I used to interview athletes for a living,
2: Okay. Okay.
0: worked in sports for many years. And the thing that I always enjoyed about interviewing athletes is I interviewed them about the human inside rather than how many points they can score Mm -hmm. or how Mm -hmm. fast they could run. Right. And I think that That is what led to a lot of the success that I had in my work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Fast forward to this particular show, and the comment that I keep getting from guests is, you didn't interview me like I was a fetish model. You didn't interview Mm -hmm. me like I was a porn star or a swinger. You interviewed me like a person. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact is we need to be yeah. able to relate to each other as people because yeah. if you can fall in love with the person you're really going to love the person that they portray. And yeah. there is mm-hmm. a huge dividing line. Vicky DeVica will talk about this in an upcoming show between the character that is Vicky DeVica, the latex fetishist, elusive rubber creature. Yeah. And the actual person. Right, right.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love that. I started a series on Peep Show Media too called When We're Not Hustling, where I'm interviewing sex workers about what they do when they're not doing sex work. So I talked to Melody Cush, who's a big cam model, about the fact that she's a poker player. You <laughs> know, I um, talked to a stripper about the fact that she designs um, uh, mermaid costumes for Renaissance fairs, you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, I talked to the Siri doll, who's a huge like porn star, about how she powerlifts. You know, and like that was the same thing. Did you know Siri was a powerlifter? <laughs> no,
0: that fascinates me because yeah. I have friends who are in powerlifting, and I think it's great.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I'll send you the article. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that that was my my impulse too. is like, I feel like as sex workers, like. Um, and you know, I do a lot of media interviews. So like, I often get asked to like, talk about sex work, which I don't mind because somebody like that's part of my job. It's part of what I do, but also it's nice to talk about something. That's not your job, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, just being a human being. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. It has been an absolute pleasure having the human being known as Jesse Sage. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> joining us for <laughs> what women and other wonderful humans want. It has been an honor having you and I hope you enjoyed it as well.
2: Yeah, I did. Thank you so much for having me.
0: We hope you'll join us for our regular show that will drop this Tuesday with Lindsay Goldworth, the author of Bow Down, Lessons from Dominatrices to Get Everything You Want. It's an amazing book, and it will be an amazing conversation with Lindsay. I hope you'll join us. As always, you can reach me by email at john at datingkinky.com. That's john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. And if you happen to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, if you give us a rating and review, we greatly appreciate it. That will do it for this bonus episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want presented by and Kinky. As always, in leaving, I hope that I've earned the privilege of your time. Always remember consent and to love each other always.
1: What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you on social media. Check us out at what women want p1 on Twitter, What Women Want podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at wwwpodcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Done Differently.